Abba. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. I am about to be taught the life changing word of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And after I keep hearing, I believe and I do. I will see the word transform my life. Say the word always works. There is a word for every situation in my life. Amen. You guys can be seated. We're going to do church just a little bit differently this morning, but I'm sure you guys are used to a little bit differently, so you'll be okay. Um, I'm going to talk to you um, a little bit. Well, it's kind of going to be one in two, but they're really kind of around the same topic. And I'm going to talk to you about um, the faith to recover this morning. Amen. The faith to recover. Because if you've lived long enough, you know that life can sucker punch you. Amen. Anybody ever been sucker punched by life? And I, only two, three people in here. Y'all not telling the truth. Anybody ever had life do something to you that just was not in the plan? You didn't plan it out. That's not what you expected. And so there can, it can be a challenge to know what to do when we're sucker punched by life. And so I'm kind of going to weave some Bible stories. I'm going to weave some of our own story, hopefully to help you understand how to recover and to understand what fellowship of champions, what our goal is, what it is that we want to do and what it is that we want to be. And so I'm, we're going to do it. it. It really will be more like Sunday school or Bible study in it. Um, in that, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to ask questions this morning. And so if you don't um, feel comfortable asking questions, then you can write your questions down and pass them and then they'll bring them up. But it's, I think it's really important um, to make sure that people get the answers that they need and people don't all, aren't always willing to admit that they have questions that they need to answer. So what I want to do first is that I want to go to James the book of James, for those of you who are still learning your Bible, um, it's in the New Testament. It is after the book of Hebrews. And we're going to start with James, the first chapter in verse two. It says, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that give it to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, for a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So I want to go back to verse 2. In verse 2 it says, My brethren... James 1 verse 2, it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, how many of you ever been caught up in situations? And in those kind of situations, is anybody just overflowing with joy? So already off the bat, 
we are being instructed to do something that is contrary to our very nature when we are in trouble, when things aren't working. What's our first nature when we are in trouble and things aren't working? What do we want to do? We want to run. What else do we want to do? We want to get sad. We want to do what? We want to cry. We want to get mad. We want to worry. We want to complain. But the Bible says, wait a minute. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to count it all joy. Now, understand what he's saying. He's not saying to count your trouble as joy. So we don't get like in a wreck and jump out the car and go, oh, praise the Lord, we were in a wreck today. No, that's not what he's saying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Somebody you love die, you like, thank you, Jesus. Like, no, that's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying count it all joy when you fall into these situations because you know this that the trying of your faith worketh patience, okay? So first of all, you'll never be able to count it joy if you don't know that temptations are designed to perfect your faith. So you'll never be able to respond correctly until you, it's kind of like this. Um, People who are really good at working out consistently, they are able to do it because they are able to make a to keep a constant connection that the pain is producing something. Those of us who stop and start, we stop and start because we be forgetting. And like, like that third day when your stomach hurt real bad, you like, this don't really make sense because I don't really care if I'm fat. No way, because I'm cute. So it don't even matter. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a better body anyway. And I can't be everything. I can't be smart and fine. Like, that would be too much. So I just pick one. Like, that's how I talk to myself. That's how I work myself through it. I don't know how you work yourself through it. Then I feel really good because I just go have me a piece of cake that I really like. And we just work it all out. Because in reality, even though I know I should be more consistent, I haven't built a pathway that says this pain is producing something that's worth it. So the Bible says that when you fall into these trying situations, notice that it didn't say that God put you in these trying situations. Because the challenge for a lot of people is that you're blaming God for stuff you did. Like you did that. Okay, let's, let's just walk through some scenarios, okay? You met somebody, and when you first met them, your gut told you don't fool with them. <laughs> Amen. Come on, high five, high five. I give you a high five for that. That's right. Good job, good job. Way to go. Go ahead and admit that, admit that. You met them, and in and, and, and your gut, something said. You can't even say it was the Lord because maybe you didn't know the Lord at that point. But something said, you shouldn't really fool with them. But they were so cool, and they were so whatever, you know. She's fine, has so much money. Whatever it was that pulled you in, that you ignored that thing. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's 15. But that thing that told you not to deal with them eventually comes back and bites you. And then you say, I can't believe the Lord let me get caught up like this. So many times the situations that we're in, they are situations. In fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says you are only drawn away by the lust of your own flesh. 
Let's walk through. You only drawn away by the lust of your own flesh. Does everybody understand what that means? I'm going to give you a couple examples. Like, for example, if you're trying to cheat, if you're trying to have a healthy diet and you don't like sweets, sweets don't tempt you. They can lay the whole table out with sweets. You keep walking because you don't care about sweets. Oh, but let them put a big juicy cheeseburger dub with the cheese. Then you caught up. Let them put some potatoes on the table. See, you're drawn away by the lust of your own flesh. And what gets you caught up is an indication for you to get stronger. When you can become a student of, we always use Romans 12 and 2, right? Romans 12 and 2, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Some of that mind renewal is to begin to identify what the enemy uses to get you caught up. Because everybody got something different they use to get caught up, okay? So, I'm going to tell you some funny stories because I can tell you my business because y'all act funny if I tell y'all business. So, I just tell my own business, okay? So when um, I was growing up, um, I knew a lot of people who smoked weed, okay? And I didn't necessarily smoke weed really because I, spent, I had a lot of contact highs in my life. I didn't really have to smoke weed. I was with people who smoked weed all the time. So when I came to college, I decided that I was going to graduate and actually become a weed smoker, right? And so, like, I smoked weed like three times. But the fourth time, they asked me to put my money in on it. In that moment, I decided I didn't smoke weed. <laughs> in that moment, like, I didn't need no rehab. I ain't need no prayer. I just, they wanted $5. And I just thought, I'm not finna give y'all $5. To sm- no, I, I, I don't smoke weed no more. Just like that. What it says is, is that at the end of the day, I didn't have any real attachment to marijuana to begin with. That's why I was, it, it's other people, they got real attachment. They try to quit every day. You're drawn away by the lust of your own flesh. You know, when, when the enemy is trying to present you, if you decide to live celibate, if you're trying to be faithful in a relationship, when the enemy is trying to present you with somebody, he going to find your type. He don't bring folks that's not your type to you. Now, the challenge for you is that some of you, your type is really broad. <laughs> your type is really broad. Like, you don't really have, there's a, a song saying, I ain't got no type. You like that song. You ain't got no type. Like, if it breathe and it talk back, you, that, that's good for you. But for some of you, you are a little more selective. And the enemy brings a certain type to you because he knows how to get you caught up. For some of you, your, your challenge, it may not be people. It may be the quest for money. And so what you find yourself is that you're always in the next get-rich-quick scheme because you're looking for a quick way to make a buck because you're really driven by this desire to have money and then you keep finding yourself getting caught up. Like you are the person, you're never going to admit it to us, but you are the person who bought into the spam mail that the lady from Africa needed to transfer money over. Like because you're so busy looking for something quick in order to do it. Or maybe your thing for money is that you're so willing, you're willing to compromise your family, you're willing to compromise your health, you're willing to compromise your relationship with God, but you're only drawn away by the lust of your own flesh. So the Bible says, when you fall into temptation, understand that this is your opportunity for your faith to be perfected and to produce patience. 
Now, a challenge with a lot of people is that you think patience is like putting up with stuff. That's not what patience is. The word patience means to be consistent. So what it really means is this. I say this to people all the time. Like when, say, for example, somebody decides they're going to be celibate. Well, let's be honest. Are you celibate because you've chosen celibacy? Are you celibate because you haven't had an opportunity not to be celibate? Because there is a difference. Patience produces, a, I mean, faith produces a consistency in you that begins to say, I don't care what you put in front of me. I'm going to stick with my goal. I'm going to stick with my goal. And in reality, all of us in every area of our life, we have some things where we are good at being faithful. Yes? And we have some other things where we are like schizophrenic in our faithfulness. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are these things that you naturally, that for whatever reason how God wired us, we can naturally, I think about Jimmy like all the time, like more than Jimmy knows that I think about him, especially when I don't work out, I think about Jimmy, right? Because I really believe that Jimmy knows when I don't work out. Like even if I try to look like I worked out, like I think Jimmy knows whether I worked out or not. That's my own issue, right? But like Jimmy doesn't keep working out because he played football. I know a lot of former fat football players. It is not that he played football. It is the connection in his mind that says this is worth the pain. This is worth getting up early. This is worth it. Now, in reality, God makes us promises. He tells us he wants us to prosper in every area of our life, right? But for every faith promise, there is going to be a process. Tell your neighbor, say, for every promise, there's a process. So people get married, for example, any married folks in here, you get married and you're excited about the promise to be married. But in order to actually be happily married, there's a process you have to learn how to walk out. You got to learn how to get some shut up on your life. Like you're not going to be happily married if you can't shut up. You, you just not. You just, it's not going to work. It's not going to, you got to learn, you got to get the first ministry anointing that is given out in marriage is the anointing to shut up. The Lord try to tell you, marry people, if they honest, you will be about to say something. And the Lord will say, do not say that. What you say is this, because now we get to see, because this is the temptation. The temptation is the Lord, you, here's the, here's the starting point. You want to be happily married. Okay. Yes. Yes. You want to be happily married. Now there is an opportunity to really tell your spouse what you want to say. That's the temptation. The Lord says, don't say that. Now what you do next reveals whether you have any consistency or not. Now some of you consistent and not shutting up. And that's why you always in a crisis because you don't know. And then you're like, I don't know why we're not happy because you don't walk out the process. Because at the end of the day, you can't be happily married because somebody lay hands on you. Say Amen. You cannot be happily married. What we can do is we can transfer the anointing that's on us to you. But at the end of the day, you got to still get that same shut up we got. You got to get that same forgiveness that we have. That same not bringing up the patent. That same learning how to stay on one argument at a time. So the, now it's the trying of your patience 
that will, the trying of your faith that will produce patience. So every time you're in an argument with your spouse, it is an opportunity to measure your faith. Because in reality, when God tells you to be quiet and you don't be quiet and what you say in your head, those of you who are like talkers and need to have the last word, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because we, we know you. Um, but the people who need to have the last word. So what happens is, is that God tells you to be quiet. And now the question becomes, who do you trust more, you or God? And so then what you say is you say, I'm not going to be quiet because they're not going to think that they can do this and get away with it because I'm going to tell you about yourself because I'm not who you need to play with, you know, and you get all of your. And what I have found is that all women of all race have black girl swag when they think somebody is trying to push them wrong, right? You know what I'm saying? It's just in that, it's like, hold, wait, wait, who, who are you talking to? Because this ain't what you want in your life. Now, see, the Lord told you to be quiet and go away. Had you been quiet and gone away, you could have let the Lord deal with your spouse. But because you kept talking, he can't hear God because you didn't shut up. The trying of your faith. Now, if you go on, it says, listen here, he says, if you lack wisdom... So here you go. You have a promise to be happily married. You have a promise to make more money. You have a promise to be healthy. You have a promise to be in good shape. You have a promise to be free from depression. If you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you liberally. He says, ask God, God will give it to you, right? The challenge is, have you ever had somebody give you advice and you knew when they was talking you weren't going to do what they said? Raise your hand if that's ever been you. You know their advice is right, but you know you're not going to do it, right? So what happens for a lot of people is that in crisis situation, you run to God, you run to other people who know what to do, but at the end of the day, you do what you want to do. Here's what it says about that. Don't think you're going to receive what God said because what you're asking for, you're double-minded in. Not that God won't give it to you, Let's use another practical example, right? You want to lose 20 pounds, okay? So you, you listen, I don't care what they tell you. I don't care what kind of pill, drop, wrap they selling. It's only one way to lose weight. One way. It's a combination. You have to burn more than you take in. That's just the way it is. Unless something is physically wrong with like your thyroid or something like that. If you burn up more than you take in, you go lose weight, whether you was trying to or not. So when you say stuff like this, I don't eat that much compared to what? <laughs> to an elephant? To a hog? to a person who you want to weigh like, what do you not eat that much like? So the deception is, here's the double-mindedness. I want to lose 20 pounds, but I want to eat everything I want to eat sitting in my bed and I don't want to walk. I don't even want a far parking space. I want, I'm using my favor for a close parking space. But, but, but Lord, when I go to the store, I don't understand why, am I, why I got to wear these big sizes? Because you double-minded 
in your process and you're not allowing. See, every time you don't drink the Coke, every time you walk, whether it's a short distance or a long distance, every time you do 25 sit-ups, you are learning to be consistent over the thing you say you want. Does that make sense? Faith and patience. It says, so when God gives you a promise, what are you going to do to produce it? The challenge for most of us is that we only do right in crisis. Most people real faithful in crisis. People marriage get real, real bad. They will do every instruction you tell them to do. Their marriage get better. They forget them instructions. Whatever it took to get free is what it takes to stay free. I, I, I know that's. I'm talking about how do you recover when life happens. So sometimes life happens is that somebody betrayed you. But sometimes the life that happened is that you betrayed yourself. You betrayed yourself because you heard a promise from God, but you won't admit that you don't trust God enough that he can do it. So you keep trying to do it yourself and you keep ending up in the same situation. You keep looking for a way to get what God said without doing what God said. Now, when you hear it out loud like that, don't that just sound crazy? The problem is, is that the insanity is within our own minds. So like you, let's go back to lose weight because almost everybody can do that one, right? So like you like cut out sodas, right? You cut out sodas the first week. You lose two pounds. You ain't do anything else. You ate all your regular food. You lost two pounds, right? Now you act like two pounds is 30 pounds, right? And so what, what you do is you say, okay, well, I lost these two pounds. So you know what? I'm just going to have sodas on the weekend. Well, by the time Monday come, you gain back what you lost because you're double-minded in the process. Well, what about my walk with the Lord? I want to grow in my walk with the Lord. Listen, whatever you want to do in life requires some type of sacrifice. The people who get up and work out in the morning, they sacrifice. They sacrifice and sleep. Those of us who sleep in, we sacrifice and working out. So if you want to grow in God, you got to sacrifice something. Like there's not one TV show that gets asked for you to grow with God. Like, I ain't asked you to give up all your TV shows. But, like, not one TV show gets cut. You're like, well, I don't understand why I don't hear God's voice. You, ha- you don't spend enough time with him to be able to hear his voice, to know when he's saying something to you. And then after the fact, you're like, oh, that was God. Yes, because he was trying to help you. And so if we're going to recover from when life happens, the first thing we need to do is that we need to know that where we are is not where God wants us to be. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, when you're in a bad situation, that is not where God wants you to be. Now, so here's the challenge for some of you. So identify yourself so you can change. Once you know you're in a bad situation, you ought to just repent. You should just turn around and you should just change. But you don't because you think you're smart enough to fix it yourself. Now, you was dumb enough to get yourself in the situation. But somehow now you're smart enough to get yourself out. And if you're parents of kids, you watch your kids do this. you like, you should just come ask for help. Like when they call you on Monday, you knew they didn't have no money. What you doing? 
I was just calling to see how you was doing. I, just, just, just say, look here. This, what had happened was, I didn't do what you told me to do, and now I need some help. Well, for some of you, you let guilt and condemnation get on your back so hard that instead of coming back to the Lord and going, hey, you, hey, you know that thing you told me not to do? I did it. And I've created a big mess. But if I keep going, I'm going to create a bigger mess. So how about I just come back now and be like, my bad. I'm going to go ahead and let you have this. Anybody who's been in a conflict, not just in marriage, you've seen it. The Lord tell you to be quiet. You don't be quiet. You say that next thing, it explodes. Then you're in the bathroom talking my Lord, I don't know how I got here. You got here when you said that thing that he told you not to say. Lord, I don't understand how I got in this situation with this person. Why am I caught in this bad relationship? Because when he first told you to walk away, you didn't walk away because you was like, I'm cool. I can manage it. I got it. I'm straight. I know what I'm doing. Everybody got to live their own life. See, you can always tell when people really not open for any um, instruction because they start saying stuff like this. Because, you know, man, everybody want to live their own life, Misty. Everybody got a right to make their own mistakes. See, you got the right to make your own mistakes, but it's dumb to make mistakes when you don't have to. It's dumb to make. If someone's happily married and they say to you that cursing your spouse out won't produce a happy marriage, you ought to just listen. They probably know from experience. They're trying to save you the lesson. When someone says to you, hey, if you get all those student loans, when you get ready to get a house, it's going to look real crucial for you. If you would listen, then you're like, Lord, I got these student loans, the devil on my back. The devil did not sign one promissory note. You signed all them notes. You did that. And the way to get free is to own it. Okay, Lord, I don't know how to be consistent in this area. I really struggle in this area. And so then, so the first thing you have to do if you're going to recover is that you have to acknowledge that you are in a bad state. Have you ever seen people that won't acknowledge they're in a bad state? You just keep on like everybody know you're in a bad state. It reminds me of the Emperor's New Clothes. You remember that, movie, that book from when we were kids? Like the Emperor, like finally he goes out naked, right? And like only the little kid tells him that he's naked. Like when you're in a bad state, no matter how much you think you're tricking somebody, somebody know you in a bad state. Because they know what you were like when you weren't in a bad state and they know when you're in that. The best thing you could just do is go, let me acknowledge I'm in a bad state right now. Then the second thing you got to do is you got to seek wisdom. Who has the answer to my problem? Now, here's the challenge with a lot of people why people don't get real help. You got this little issue. It's a five-letter word. It's called pride. Let me give you ways to know that you are prideful. If you say stuff like this, I don't want nobody in my business. You are prideful. I don't want nobody, I don't want them in my be Pride. It's an issue of pride. And the Bible says that pride goeth before the fall. If we're all honest, we have hit our heads sometimes because we were just too prideful to ask for help. We're just too prideful to ask for help. I'll give you an example. Let's say people get big income tax back. Every year you say your big income taxes go change your life. For the last 10 years, it has not changed your life, right? But instead of you asking somebody who can help you, you go ask your other broke friend what you should do with your income tax. So now you're taking your income tax and you on vacation. 
And then now in June, you need money for your bills and your family and your church say no. And the devil did it. I'm, I'm trying to help us avoid some of the things that we walk in. So the wisdom will be able to say, you know what? The truth of it is, is that typically if I get more than $1,000, I go hog wild. I just wig out. I buy stuff I don't even need. So I probably, before the money comes in, I need a plan, somebody who can help me. But then I'd have to be honest because then I'd have to admit, me and this earring, we are not working today. Um, I would have to be honest and admit how much I got. Well, I don't want to tell you how much I got, because if I tell you how much I got, you might ask for some. <laughs> and so I'm over here, and I'm struggling, and I'm going around the same mountain because I won't let somebody help me. Part of the success of Fellowship of Champions, or at least the people who have walked with us a long time, is that we have learned how to live under immense transparency immense transparency like we 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 have we have a very transparent environment and the people who have participated in the transparent environment their marriages make it the people who show up for the meetings the people who if you've ever been in a marriage meeting for us we intentionally will bring something we are arguing about to the table so you can see what it looks like when people work through stuff. Because contrary to popular belief, everybody ain't working through stuff with like, praise the Lord, Jesus is good. Right. That, that, that's not how we, I'm, I, Jesus is good, but that is not how we working through conflict. We're working through conflict with the same set of feeling threatened, feeling attacked, feeling whatever everybody else feels. But we negotiate through the process because we give people permission. We've literally brought things to the marriage group and given them the ability to decide who was right or wrong. Do you know how difficult that is to decide? Like you feel like you are fully vested and you are fully right. And to hear you responded inappropriately. But the people who grow are the people who can take that. And the people who overcome are the people who can take that. Let me help you. Because if you want to grow, this is as a believer, but it's not just as a believer. If you want to grow in your job, if you want to grow in any area of your life, you have to be able to be transparent and allow people to give you honest feedback. You cannot live your life thinking that every time somebody says something to you, I know I can do it to her because she won't take it personal. But I'm like, well, Angel, I feel like you're a little system. I ain't system. Like, you just don't recognize. Like, no, 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 no. If, the reality of it is, is that if people say the same thing repeatedly to you, it's true. It's a measure of truth in it. If people say to you, it's very difficult to talk to you because you get very aggressive when we talk. How many people have said that to you? More than three? You aggressive. <laughs> now you may be thinking, well, I'm not as aggressive as my mama. They're not in relationship with your mama. They're talking to you about how you act. I'm talking about how do we recover once we're in a bad situation? 
How do we recover once we have these habits, once we have these things, these things that we've used to protect ourselves, these ways that we define? Now, there are other people, you don't, you don't go off, you just shut down. You got to know you can't have productive relationships shutting down. I'm sorry, in case you didn't know. You cannot have a productive relationship shutting down. What's wrong? Nothing. No, I can tell something's wrong. Nothing. No, the, no to, the next day, what's wrong? I told you nothing wrong. Now you go tell me with an attitude, you lying that there's nothing wrong. And then you're like, nobody ever listens to me. You don't talk. <laughs> you, you don't say what's important. You don't say what matters. You say you're okay when you're really not. Why is this so important? Because in reality, most of the people in church who are going through turmoil, you are not going through turmoil because you don't love Jesus. You are going through turmoil because you lack the skills to know how to walk through challenges in life and come out victoriously. There are people you want love. Listen, you don't get love engaging with people based on the people who hurt you. You also don't get love if you're always afraid of being hurt because people who are always afraid of being hurt, you most of the time, you strike the first blow. You like, just in case you hurt me, let me go ahead and cut you today. <laughs> y'all laughing because y'all like, that's me. But here's the double-mindedness. You're praying for someone to live your life with, but you got things in your soul that you haven't fixed that won't let you have the thing you want. And so then you say, maybe God don't want me to have nobody. Let me tell you something. Everybody that God ever called to be by themselves, he told them that. They didn't have to wonder. He said, this is the call that's on your life. And the people who are called to that, they don't even have a desire for marriage because it would be unfair for God to give you desire for something that he never intended to fulfill. So the fact that you want to spend your life with somebody is indication that you should spend your life with somebody. But if you don't deal with you, well, all the day, everybody I date is a jerk. Okay, so can we have some real talk here? If everybody you date is a jerk, you, my dear, are the common denominator. Like, if you get fired from every job, they not all hating on you. <laughs> the devil is not riding you from every job. You have something going on that is the reason that you are not productive in the workplace. And if, you, if all your relationships look the same, you're the common denominator. Now, the challenge is that's tough to hear. Nobody wants to hear the reason that you can't keep a relationship is because you don't stand up for yourself. And you let people treat you any kind of way. And so then instead of somebody seeing you as a viable partner, what they see you as is the go-to girl or go-to guy, they use you up and then they go away because you've never learned the power of saying no. Because you're afraid if you say no, you're going to end up by yourself. And so because you're afraid you're going to end up by yourself, you're always by yourself. The work is on the inside of you. So if you're going to grow and learn how to let temptation, so how do I let trials and temptations produce something in me? I stop asking why they did what they did. Tell your neighbor, say, why they did, why they did. what they did, what they did. Is, irrelevant. is irrelevant. The real question, the real question. is how did, you get here? how did 
Because when somebody betrays us, when somebody doesn't do right by us, when we call our girlfriends, guys, I don't really know what y'all do. Y'all really don't talk. Y'all act like y'all cool. Y'all go play basketball or something. I'm not sure what y'all do. But what we do is we spend two days dissecting what the other person did instead of owning what we did. How did I get here? What was the fear that let me connect to you? What was the desperation that let me connect to you? Why did I take this job? Why do I get my feelings hurt when somebody doesn't like my ideas? Why am I so sensitive? I mean, there are people that are more sensitive than others, but God ain't make everybody. You ain't all super sensitive. Can't nobody say nothing to you. Everybody need to walk on eggshells to you. See what kind of, that, that, That's not how you're wired. So where'd you get that from? Why are you so aggressive? In reality, most people who are aggressive are really afraid. You're like, I'm not talking about necessarily like you're afraid of being beat up. What you are afraid of is you are afraid of someone getting to the place that hurts you. So when they look like they're going to do something that hurts you, you just go all the way off. And now like you went to 100 and now they think you crazy. But like you've done it so many times. Like if you're dating people and people say stuff to you like this, they go, you crazy. Do you... Everybody don't hear that in relationships. So if you're dating somebody and in a conflict, you begin to act in a way and they say, you crazy. And if you've heard it more than one time, oh, oh, but Pastor John, this isn't spiritual. I'm trying to give you the practical so you can have what God says for you. Amen. So I want to ask right now, does anyone have a question about that? You have a scenario you want us to work through because we'll help you in here this morning. Because what we don't, Fellowship of Champions is a place where people should be winning in life. We don't want you coming to church and shouting, going home, your money's still raggedy, your kids still raggedy, your job's still raggedy. We don't want to be a church where people come and look good and live bad. Any questions? Comp, all right. What does it look like to live without pride and how can you get to that? Oh, I think that's a good question. What does it look like to live without pride and how can you get to that point? The challenge for a lot of people is that they don't think they have pride because they only see pride as saying I'm better than you are. But pride is when you won't let anybody in. Now, in reality, most people don't let somebody in because you let somebody in before and they betrayed you. You told somebody your business, they told everybody. So one thing you have to do is that you have to ask God to give you people who can see the real you and walk you through it. You don't just need people who can see the real you. You need people who can see the real you but won't let you stay there. You have to ask God for it. And you have to understand that people are human and people are flawed. God, I wish somebody had told me this when I got in ministry. That people are human and people are flawed and even people with the best intentions blow it sometimes. But it is unfair to allow your, your problem with somebody else to keep you from giving me a chance. Yes, ma'am.
Give her a hand. That's what we want to do for each other. That's what we want to do for each other. Are we going to get it right all the time? See, because here's the thing, because here's the second part of this, because if we're going to build Fellowship of Champions, I'm going to help you with the things we didn't know the first time we tried to build, build a church. People aren't perfect. Turn around, look at your neighbor, say, people aren't perfect. People aren't perfect. <laughs> say, your leaders, your leaders aren't perfect. So if we're going to build something, we can't have the kind of relationship where if we blow it, you abandon. You got to be able to give your leadership. I don't just mean me and Pastor Elwin. I mean the people who work with Children's Church. I mean as the praise team comes, as we have uh, small groups. You got to be able to give people the same grace you want. And in church, we haven't done a good job. I say this all the time. I say, you see people talk about the things that pastors have done. Baby, if we wrote a book, <laughs> the stuff we know. <laughs> I'm going to put you out my thing today. I am. <laughs> Pastor Edwin is not in here to save you this morning. I'm going to put you out if you keep on. Pastor Elwin like when she act like that. All the day, all the rest of the day, he'd be like, you hear what Kenosha said? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but if, you, if you're going to be a part of a church that's a family that people are going to grow in, you got to realize that it takes more than you coming on Sunday, and it takes more than your offering to be a real ministry that lasts. You got to be willing to put skin in the game, and you got to know up front that sometimes you put skin in the game, and the very people you put skin in the game with, they are going to mess up. And so are you. So this is so crazy. I'm, I'm, I hope you don't, she doesn't mind me telling Like, Angel and I just made up this last year. So, for the last however many years, we didn't have a relationship. And when we sat down and talked, we weren't even upset about the same thing. I thought for years that she was mad about something. She was like, girl, I ain't even know nothing about that. And the thing that she was upset about, I was like, yeah, I missed that. That's not what happens. But you know how it got there? It got there because instead of sitting down and saying, let's talk through what happened, and maybe we can't work it out this time, but we're going to come back next time and we're going to work it out, and maybe we need to get somebody else to help us. And that's what happens in relationships. If you begin to do life with people, people get injured. And you can't just run away. So now me and Angel be texting each other. We're like, I'm so glad you're back. But in reality, we didn't have to be gone all this time. <laughs> now, hopefully the wisdom that we bring to the scenario now is that when we see that spirit working towards you, we like, hold on, Misty. Let me tell you how the enemy trying to play you because what he's good at is disconnecting you from the very people you need. Anybody else got a question? Yes. You and then you.
Well, see, here's the thing. Here's the way I see it. I can tell that she's really hurt. I need some of my good huggers, Tamara. I need some of my, uh, I need a good hugger because you can tell she's really hurt by that. So here's the thing. Sometimes people leave our lives and we're very hurt by it and we should let them go. Sometimes, like with me and Angel, God is working on us because he knows that we're supposed to be together. So it may be a situation where with some time, the Lord does some restoring. It may be a situation that's as painful as it is for you to admit, because what I'd want to talk about privately is what's the reason you want to keep this person who would choose to deal with you that way? And if it's just because they've been your longest friend, we'll get you some new friends. So for me, everything starts with the word of God, a word from God. Is this person supposed to be in my life? I do everything I can not to let go of the people who God said are supposed to be there. Everybody else, if you choose to leave, I let you go. Trusting that God can still bring restoration. All right, Eugene. Kadosha says she wants to speak to you as a former bully. She still is a bully. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to be clear that she still is a full, she still is a bully. She's just not just as much of a bully as she used to be. All right. Or crazy. <laughs> we don't need to stop that. No, 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 no. Fix it up.
Again, I think it goes back to asking God. Like you've identified, here's why I am the way that I am, right? Then you have to ask God to help you create safe spaces with people that you, that you have. The, the, the reality of it is, is that I work hard not to be aggressive, but if I feel threatened, my first response is aggression. Like you talk about flight or fight people, I don't have, I'm not running. I ain't got time for no running. So for me, if I feel like it's aggressive, my first step is to jump to 100. Like I bring all my crazy out, right? Up. So you'd be like, oh my bad, I didn't want to do this. But I've learned that because I love Jesus and I represent Jesus, a lot of times I just say, boy, you should be so glad I know Jesus because if I didn't know Jesus, babe, what I, and you have to walk yourself through those processes. But you have to, here's the thing. I didn't give up being aggressive until I decided that it wasn't a valuable skill set anymore. Because in reality, those of us who are bullies, we learn to bully, we learn to be aggressive because it backs people up off of you. And so I had to learn that if I really wanted a relationship with people, I couldn't back everybody up off of me. I had to learn how to do it. It's just practice. And taking that feedback. And it's taking that feedback. Is this some water somewhere? Can I get some water? All right. Somebody else have a question? Because now I'm. Oh, I got a piece of paper up here. What do you do when you are trying to get close to God and your spouse doesn't go to church? And he yell, yells and argue, and you're trying to do the right thing. It is a perfect time to learn how to perfect faith. At the end of the day, so years ago, some of you have heard my story, but y'all know me and Pastor Edwin used to be real crazy before we was pastors. We was like real, real gangster, like you. <laughs> Man, we was, we lived thugged to each other and out in the rest of the world. And so when I, when I first, um, when I decided I didn't want to be that way, because in reality, the only place that that was going to end up is that we were going to end up in divorce. We, we weren't going to, we were going to end up in divorce or he was going to end up dead because I wasn't going to let him kill me. So, I mean, it just, it wasn't going to be a good look. It wasn't going to work out well for us. And I can remember calling um, my spiritual mother one day and I said to her this, I, when she answered the phone, I said, Edwin makes me sick. And she said to me, shame on you for being sick when Jesus healed you. She said, how in the world Jesus redeemed you and now you sick of Edwin? And then she said this to me. She said, real maturity is when nobody stops you from being who you are. So it's about making a decision to live at a certain way regardless. In reality, people in relationships, everybody knows this. If you're in a relationship with anybody at the time, and it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship, I'll take Kenosha for example, right? So... No, no, I'm saying this is something I do to Kenosha. So, like, huh? We're not romantic. <laughs> Let's be real clear. We are not romantic. <laughs> I came with you today. Um, so, um, I actually like to argue. I went to law school. 
I like to argue. I like to watch people put themselves into a trap. And I, I really, I, I like the art of it, right? I like asking a question that I know what you're going to say. I love pulling people in. I don't, most people have never seen me do that because most people can't take it and then they all in their feelings and stuff, right? So when I'm really feeling the need to do it, I call Kenosha because she's so easy. I know her so well. Here's my point. Then when you know somebody, you know exactly what to say to get them to respond. I can tell when I got her because when I got her, she say, I'm not going to do this with you today. The moment she say, I'm not going to do this with you today, I'm like, here we go. We going all the way in. And lots of times I am sitting on the phone laughing, working her all the way to 100. And then just about the time she's back to, about to explode, I go, you right. I didn't even care that much. No way. She's like, oh, why do I let you do that to me? We do it in a friendly kind of way. At least it's friendly for me. I'm sure she's feeling some kind of way, but it feels real. It's a good release for me. Um, don't make it right. But, you know, I mean, it's how I, you know. But, but on the other hand, Jimmy does it to me. Jimmy does it to me. I say to Jimmy, I text Jimmy, I say, I love you. He don't say nothing back. I say, Jimmy, did you hear me say I love you? He goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jimmy, say you love me too. Do you know I love you? Do you have some insecurity about the love that I feel for you? <laughs> so then I started going, I'm not going to do this with Jimmy today. Like, whatever. I know you love me no matter what. What? My point is, is that when you do life with people, it gets really easy to know how to move them. So one of the challenges is that when we're changing, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friendship relationship, whatever it is, is that when people start to see us change, there's a really good book you can read about. It's called A Dream Giver by Bruce Wilkinson. You should read it. And it's about what to do when you're transitioning because sometimes you have people that are legitimate haters and they just need to get out your life. The other times people react that way because they are afraid of what your change means for them. So if I change, if you change and you really love God, will I lose you? Especially when I don't think I deserve to have you anyway. Or when we've been engaged in all of this way, because you can engage dysfunctionally so long that you begin to think that's a way of love. And so sometimes when we have people and we're transitioning, the best thing we could do is sit them down and let them know that we have no intentions of leaving them on the journey. That we love them, that we're not there to judge them, and that we're not trying, and that our getting better isn't to say that they're worse. It's just something we need to do. We have to reassure. And then some of it is just the self-control of not responding. Amelia? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so I think you have to meditate before you're in the situation. It's funny. I wish Pastor Edwin's in here because I do this to him all the time. Because years ago, we had this whole script, this whole discussion in Bible study about would you turn the other cheek, right? Pastor Edwin off the bat, he like, no, I ain't turning nothing. If you slap me, I'm going to slap you back. I'm like, but what if Jesus wants you to turn the other cheek? So for the past three years, we have this dialogue where like randomly, 
and maybe Angel can do it for you randomly. I'll just call Ellen and I'll say, if I called you right now and I told you that somebody slapped me, what you gonna do? Like for the first 500 times he just failed. He was like, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna go to jail, and you gonna have to take care of the kids. See? <laughs> and I would say, you have to meditate on what you would do. So you have to begin. Okay, so anybody in here used to fight? Okay, if you used to fight, so if you used to fight, you know if you thought you would go fight, in your mind what you say is, here's what I'm going to do. If they do this, here's what I'm going to do. That's the same way you learn how to have self-control. You say, if somebody say this to me, here's what I'm going to do. And you see yourself walking through the scenario. You really use the principle of visualization and meditation in order to become a different person. So like in, in, your, in your mind, in your argument, you keep going to the most crazy thing they can do, right? You see the place that you snap, you back up, and you do it again and again and again. And if you do it, here's what research tells us. Do you guys remember when Captain Sully landed that plane in the Hudson River? And when they interviewed him, they asked him, how was he able to do that? He said every night that he sat in his recliner, he envisioned doing a water landing. He had never done a real water landing before. Psychologists tell us that once you know how to do a skill, it is actually more beneficial to do it in your mind than with your body. So you can use the principle of meditation because a lot of times people think meditation is this. Um, I will not fear, give no place to the devil. And so you just quoting the scripture over and over again. No, real meditation is this. A big bear runs in this room. I will not fear. You see yourself running. You go, not there yet. Okay, a little bear runs into this room. <laughs> you, you still ran. Uh, a dog runs into this room. And you keep going. And then you build yourself back up. In reality, if you talk to kids who dunk and kids who do things with their body, they've spent way more time in their mind doing that than they actually did it. And then in the right time, their body kicks in. So if you meditate over the right response and allow yourself to make your blow-ups in your head, you give people permission to give you scenarios. People, like, if you've ever spent a bunch of time with us, we give people lots of scenarios. The reality of it is, is that um, we are trying to get you to see who you really are because everybody thinks I'm this until pressure's on. But if we can get you to think about who you really are before the pressure's on, you're more equipped to know what you need to talk to God about and how you need to prepare. Does that help? Yeah. And then when you blow it, you just gotta say, my bad, I blew it. And say, I'm working on it. Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Anybody else have anything? Cause I got a little more, I wanna. Caleb, you got a question? Oh, very good. Good looking out. Read Who Moved My Cheese. It talks about change, how to adjust to change. And if you go change your life, you, you need to, you, you got to be able to adjust to change. Here's the, the, what statistics say. Statistics say most people don't change until the pain of change becomes, most people do not change until they associate more pain with staying the same than they do with change. Most people don't change until they feel like they have to. I'm telling you as a believer, you don't have to wait till you have to. You can use the fact that God wants something better for you to change. Right. Yes, ma'am.
I think you ask God for people. Like people think about asking God for ministry. They think about asking God for business. Very few people ask God for friends. Like I don't just want people who I like. I want people who have the ability to handle me as I'm transitioning. So I ask God for that. And, and, which me, I'll give you a great example. Yesterday, one of my friends, she was upset. And so she's a fighter too. And so she says, um, she says, let's beat up so-and-so. That's what she says to me. Let's beat up so-and-so. <laughs> and I say, because when you got real friends, you got to be to have those kind of conversations because her first response is somebody's done something crazy. Let's just punch them in the throat. So I say to her, <laughs> I say, well, could we pray for them first and see if that works? She sends back sad face. I don't want to pray for them first. Let's just punch them in the throat. And so I say, I say, we could, we could punch them in the throat, but you should remember that you have a vision you want to accomplish and punching them in the throat doesn't align with that. She types back dot, dot, dot. Cause now she's thinking finally, like 30 minutes later, she was like, all right, you win. We won't punch them in the throat. What should we pray? You need people who can handle that with you. Like you don't need people who, you don't need people who you guys make each other worse together. Like if you a fighter, you need somebody who can talk you down. If you a runner, you need somebody who can help you stand. You don't need somebody who say like, oh, let's go shoot up the building. You like, I'm down. No, hold on, wait. Why are we shooting up the building? Is there enough? Do they have our kids in the building? Like, what are we doing? You need people, but that even when they're seeing you at your worst, they don't throw you away. That's what you need. You need people who can see you at your worst and they don't throw you away. So in this new testing of relationships, what you do is this, is that to me, I always ask God whether I can trust people. Literally, when I'm meeting people while you introducing yourself, I'm like, what you got to say about her? Because I need to know what to do with you because it doesn't mean I won't talk to you. But if God, like sometimes God like, yeah, that ain't really cool for you. All right, cool. People are like, let's go to one. I'm busy. Because you know that if you spend enough time with somebody and you like them, you go end up caught up. It's somebody God told you not to fool with. So I ask God about people, but then I let people prove that they're trustworthy. You let them see a little flaw and see what they do. You don't just come in and tell the whole story like over lunch. Let me tell you everything I was saying what happened in my life. See what happened when I was 16. I stabbed somebody. No, you don't do all that. You tell them a little bit and you see what they do with it. But here's the thing for some of you, it's the reason that we're saying to you, talk to somebody different when you, didn't come, when you come to church this morning. Because what we naturally do as people is that we migrate to who we're most comfortable with. But who, and so then you end up with a church where some people feel in the crowd and some people feel out of the crowd. But sometimes it's the people who are in, supposedly in the crowd that have the resources for the people that are out or vice versa. And you can't do it if you see church as just a place where you come and get the word, you give, and you go home. You have to be willing to give of yourself to really have a family. All right. So, because you guys know we're in the transition, we're figuring out ministry. That's why we're doing these things, right? So people are like, why haven't you just launched a church? Here's why we haven't just launched a church. We learned a lot from the last time we just launched a church. We are a whole lot smarter. First of all, we realize we can't do it all by ourselves. 
One of our mistakes in the beginning is that we tried to be everything to everybody until we have other people who can step up and do hospital visits and talk to people in crisis and all of that. It's on, because I'm going to tell you up front, I am not going to try to respond to everybody individually. I can't do it, not long term. And you're just going to end up upset. And that's not what ministry is anyway. In reality, everybody's getting the same word. We ought to all be able to help everybody. The other thing is that, see, because you know your issues about church folks um, and why you don't like church folks. and pre Let me tell you my issues with church people so you'll understand my struggles, because if we're going to be a family, we need to be transparent, right? One of my challenges with church people, not you people, but church people, is that what I have found about church people is that they're very good at taking and not very good at giving. And, and to me, it looks like this. They come to church when it's convenient for them. When it's not convenient, they never consider that other people are making a sacrifice to be there. They give when it's convenient for them. They never consider that everybody on the team is having to make a sacrifice to keep the place. They have lots of criticisms, but not a lot of solutions. They know that the praise team doesn't sing that great, but they're not willing to sing. They know that we need more help in children's church, but they only want to sit. They're willing to let you pay their rent, but then when they get on their feet, they're not willing to give so that there's money to pay somebody else's rent. They want to be covered when they make mistakes, but they want to judge everybody else who makes mistakes. So my challenge with church people is that I love you, but I'm a little gun shy about you. And I want to fully engage, but in reality, I want to do ministry with people who are committed to doing life. More than pomp and circumstance and how cute we can look doing a service and if everybody outfits can match. I want to know that at the end of the day that if somebody in this church gets down, there's a group of people that whether we know you personally or not, we're going to rally to help you because we want to see you survive. And I want to know that if I have a crisis, that the people that I have labored and prayed over, that you go jump for me like I jumped for you. That's what I'm looking for. And in reality, if that's not what we're willing to do, you should go to a church where the people don't care about that. We're going to make a lot of mistakes doing this. Everybody. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. It's just the way it goes. Sometimes, hopefully, we're going to have way more kids in children's church than we expected, and your kid might get a scratch. The people didn't set out to cut your kid. When you went in there and you saw it was all those extra kids in there, you could have stayed. And, why, and at least watch your kid, because you know how your kid act. When new people come, they're going to have issues and they're going to look different. And, and, and you can't be mad about your chair. And, and are we mean at the double tree or the so? Because I like the so-and-so room better. Then pay for one of the rooms and we can meet in whichever room you pay for. You got to be willing to speak to people who don't look like you. You got to be willing to throw down your black issues and your white issues and your blue collar issues and your white collar issues and just do life. And when people blow it, you got to not expose them. You know why? Because you don't want to be exposed when you blow it. I want a group of people that by the time we find out there was a conflict, you resolved it. Or you've done everything you could to resolve it, and that's why you need us.
That's, what, that's who I want to build with. People who can grow up and become light, and people go, oh my God, they so cool. Do you know one of the worst things in the world is to go into the beauty shop and hear people talk about their pastor and then invite you to church? That is one of the worst things in the world to go into a place and to hear people talking about their church, talking about their leadership, and they be like, girl, you should come to church with me. Why in the world would I want to do that? I want Fellowship of Chambers to be like, dude, that's not how we roll. That, that's not what we do. I want us to be the kind of people that if somebody comes to you and tries to talk to you about another ministry, you like, that ain't what we do. That ain't how we roll. If you're not happy there, then find another place, but you don't get to spill that poison over here. I'm not pulling into that. We just want to do life together. And doing life is messy. You know the only thing that stays rolled and orderly is a cemetery? Because those graves don't get up and move because they dead. But if you do life with real people, real people blow it. You know what we do? We get up. We dust each other off. We learn how to forgive a little deeper. We learn how to love a little better. And hopefully this time next year, the people who was causing injury are now the people who know how to minister to somebody else. But think about in your life when you've been your most crazy. What if everybody had walked away from you when you were in your most crazy? Somebody had to be willing to deal with your crazy. Because that's my other challenge with, with, with church people is that now you're not as crazy as you were. And now all the crazy people get on your nerves. But you got on our nerves when you was the crazy one. But we kept laboring with you. You got to be committed to doing, building something. And, and it doesn't take money, but it's way bigger than money because if we get your money, but we don't get your heart and we don't get your willingness to serve, we still don't have anything. All right, so any more questions? Because I'm about to wrap this thing up. Y'all learn something today? Ellen and I, anybody who's ever talked to us, we don't claim to know it all. Like we say, we don't know all the time. We try to be really transparent. We try to be honest about who we are. We try to be really good about saying this is what the Lord said. Sometimes you say something, I'll be like, well, this is what I would do. Like, and then I'll be like, hold on, this is what the Lord would do. I mean, we just, we're not perfect. We ain't even trying to be perfect. We just want to please God in how we live. We just want to hang out with people who want to please God and how they live. We want broken people to come here and be able to be whole. We want broken people to come and not be judged for being broken. We want broken people to come and be challenged not to be broken. So, all right. So the last thing I want to talk to you is about what do we do um, when you have a promise and the promise hasn't come to pass. Anybody ever had promise and it seemed like promise should have come to pass by now? Abraham is a great example of that, but I actually want to use King David instead of Abraham. In Psalms, I believe it's like 112 or 113, God makes Abraham, I mean David, a promise, and he says to him, you're going to forever have a son on the throne. You will forever have a son on the throne, right? So do you guys know the history of David and his sons? Right? Basically, David wasn't a good father. 
David was a great warrior and David was a great praiser and a great worshiper, but he was a horrible father. And in reality, if you go back, he was a horrible father because his father had been such a horrible father to him. In fact, his father was such a horrible father that when Samuel came to ask for all of the sons to see which one would be anointed as king, he didn't even call David from the field. So all the sons were there. He didn't even call him. Can you imagine what it's like to grow up in a family to be overlooked? You're not even called. So then anyway, he, when he finally, then when he's anointed as king, Saul takes him as his spiritual son. And then at every whim, Saul gets mad and wants to kill him because Saul gets upset. The whole thing starts because David kills, the Bible, the Bible says that the maidens used to sing that Saul had killed his thousands and David killed 10,000. And then they, and then Saul wanted to kill David. And so now he's got a father who didn't validate him. And now he has a spiritual father, leader, step-in father who now is jealous of his success. How many you would submit that that might give you some issues? And I love the reason that they write the Bible and they show you their flaws so you can see that God can use you even though you have flaws. Well, because David never resolved his issues, the Bible is clear. You read and it says that David did not discipline his children. Basically, he gave them whatever they wanted to and he didn't discipline. For those of you who feel like you may have been overparented and parented in a really rough way by your parents, the solution is not to not discipline your children. If you don't discipline your children, you're going to make them fools. You have to learn a balance. If your mother was too heavy-handed, you got to lift the hand, but that don't mean you don't ever use the hand. If you never got to say anything growing up, it don't mean you let your kids say everything they need to say. You, you can't allow what didn't happen for you as a kid to make you go too far so then you produce something worse than what your parents produce. So anyway, David has five sons, six sons, and so he has this promise that his son's going to sit on the throne. I thought this was interesting. So his first son is a dude named Amnon, and Amnon, who should have been the rightful heir to the kingdom, gets killed because he raped his sister. See, people be talking about like scandal. I don't know why people trip about scandal. If you read your Bible, it's a lot of ratchet in the Bible. It is overrun with ratchet. Dang. So basically, Ammonon rapes Tamar, and then instead of marrying her, which would have made it right back in that day, not this day, back in that day, he then puts her away from him, so he puts the shame on her. They tell David, and David doesn't discipline him. Because David doesn't discipline him, it makes Absalom, who is her whole brother, hate Ammonon. He waits for two years, plots, and he kills Ammonon. So now David's first son is gone. So his other three sons, you don't really know their names, the one he had by Abigail and the one he had by two handmaids. And, and the, the research I did said they were never contenders for the throne because their mothers weren't also royalty. You know what I'm saying? So like they, 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 weren't, they didn't have the lineage, lineage, so they were either concubines or something else, so they weren't qualified. So he really only had three sons that was qualified for the throne. Ab Ammonon should have been first. When Ammonon did, wasn't disciplined, he raped his sister. He gets killed by his brother Absalom. That makes Absalom go on the run. So Absalom is now a fugitive. He is not a contender for the throne. And, and then the other son... David just, the Lord never released him to be the son. So then David does all this bad stuff because this, is, um, this really is how to recover from a setback. So David does all this bad stuff. David is supposed to be out as a warrior. Instead of being as a warrior, he's standing on his um, balcony one day and he sees this beautiful chick. She is 
amazing. She is bad. And he, because he is the king, he calls for her to come to him. And you know he wasn't going to just talk because he caught her kept catching a bath. Like, he didn't call anybody to get any advice on that, right? He just was like, bring her on up here. He didn't ask for any feedback. Turns out she was Uriah's wife, who was one of his greatest soldiers. So he sleeps with her. Now, so he, the king has slept with this man's wife, and um, then he gets her pregnant, and then they tried to pull one of the situations that you see on Mari sometimes, that they decided <laughs> that what they were going to do is they, they were going to bring Uriah from the, feet, from the front line, get Uriah to sleep with her so they could pass the baby off as Uriah's. But Uriah was so faithful, and Uriah said, there's no way I can sleep with my wife when all the men are still in battle, and our nation, like, he was a bad, he was faithful, right? Like, you don't know many men like that. He just, he didn't, he didn't sleep with her. So then David comes up with a better plan. Now, at any point, you know David should have just come clean, right? And David says, no, what we're going to do is, because I know Uriah is faithful to me, he gives Uriah a note. He knows Uriah is so faithful that Uriah Uriah won't even open the note. That ain't most of us. We wouldn't have got killed because we'd have read that note on the way back to the front line. The note says, send Uriah into battle and then retreat from him so he will be killed. So he calls for the assassination of Uriah just to keep Uriah from figuring out that he had got his wife pregnant. Now, if you were Uriah, will you not believe that Uriah would have rather known that he got his wife pregnant than to get killed? So David has done this horrible thing. Uriah dies. Um, he then um, takes, he wastes the time, and then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. I mean, it is just good ratchet TV, right? And when they have the baby, they tell him that the baby's going to die. And the baby's sick unto death. And the Bible says that David sits down and he fast and he prays and he believes God but when the baby dies it says that he gets up he washes his face he changes his clothes and he praises the Lord now that seems like a crazy thing to do when your dreams are utterly crushed because you got to understand not only does he have the guilt from knowing that he's assassinated this man and that in reality he believes that this baby is dead because of his actions, but this baby is his last chance. He believes as an heir that God has promised him for, right? But because he gets up from the mess, because he changes, because he puts his focus back on God, he ends up with Solomon. None of the other names of those people do you even really know unless you're a student of the Bible, but everybody knows the name of Solomon. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that whether you are in your situation, whether whatever bad happened to you because you made a bad decision or you're the product of somebody else's bad decisions, the first thing you have to do to turn it around is you got to get up. What does get up mean? You got to stop rehearsing the past. What does get up mean? You got to stop letting condemnation overcome you. You blew it. You're not the only person. Everybody blows it. Some people blow it bigger than others. Some people blow it more publicly than others. But a blow it is a blow it for God, and Jesus covered all of them, right? You got to get up, and then you got to turn back to God. And, and because David didn't let go of his faith, he saw what God said. You got to learn that, you know, I don't know why life happens the way it happens except that it does but when, I know that when it does it can make us better 
I know that we can allow life situations to make us bitter or they can make us better. And ultimately, we get to choose that because you can take any tragedy that has happened throughout the world and you can see somebody who has used it to become bitter and you can see somebody who has used it to become better. You always have the choice to become better. But unless you choose to get up, the thing that God promised will never happen. So you have to get up from the wall that you've built from the people who've hurt you. You got to get up from the bad relationships and you got to let it go. You got to get up from your own past mistakes and forgive yourself. I actually want to do this. If you're a person in here and you're really hard on yourself and you have trouble forgiving yourself when you mess up, could you stand up? I want to pray with you this morning. Jesus, y'all be going through. No, no, no. Really, y'all be going through. Listen, I I actually, I I don't want to lay hands on you. I do want you to come up. I want to high five with you. Let me tell you what I got the grace to do. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. I got the grace to let it go. Here's the thing. You have overestimated yourself if you thought that you could live without flaw and mistake. Forgive yourself. We're going to do an exercise, Okay. And then we're going to come, we're going to strike hands, we're going to go back, we're going to pray for the next thing. That's kind of how we're going to end service today, okay? All right, so here's the confession. I want you to imagine that you are talking to yourself. And if you know if you have those phones where you can take a selfie and you see yourself, you may want to take your phone out so you can actually see yourself. This is the best. Listen, let me tell you something. This, I'm about to give you some therapy that will cost you years of your life if you go see a regular therapist. Let me help you. Come on. This is what you need to say. Call yourself by name. Ready, go. I choose to forgive you. In reality, you were really doing the best you could with what you had. The reality is you're a different person now. And so you have to let that go. So today, I am giving you permission to let it go. And to move on. on. Say, you are are forgiven. forgiven. Now you should hug yourself. Hug yourself. Y'all don't hug yourself. I can tell y'all. Jimmy, I said, hug yourself. You ain't hug yourself. (laughs) Don't be a (laughs) T-Rex. Now, really, I just want to hit hands with you in agreement. Come back to your seat. We're going to pray for the next couple things. I promise we're going to get out of here. But you know what? Sometimes you need a little bit extra so you can be free. All right, come on. High five. We just high five just meaning we agree. Stop that. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Be free. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. Be free. 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 Okay. Be free. Right. I love it. See? That's what family does. Be free. 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 Now, here's what I want to say to you about that. That voice, now you got to make a decision. When that voice comes, you can have a seat. When that voice comes to rehearse your mistakes, that voice is not from God. God does not throw your mistakes up in your path, in your face. Now, you have to decide consciously whether you are going to agree with God or the devil. Because from now, every time that you do it, you are making conscious partnership with the devil. Which means sometimes he's going to say something you just have to say out loud, walking in the mouth, shut up. 
you can't let that stuff get deposited. So where was I before we did that? Uh, sometimes there's a lot of stuff. That, sometimes people need deliverance laid out on the floor. Sometimes you just need to have some conversation and make some choices. And I want to help you make those choices because I want you to be free. Let yourself go. Those of you who need to forgive other people, you got some people you need to forgive. Here's how you know you need to forgive somebody. When I said forgive, a face or name came up. When I said that, if I said that, that's you. If you need to forgive somebody, I want you to stand up. <laughs> You're not the only one thinking that. This is called the forgiveness exercise. I need some of my people who don't need to forgive somebody to come partner with these people. Those of you FOC, you've done the forgiveness exercise a million times. Come on, let's help me out. Uh, why y'all not moving? Could y'all? But you're not moving to nobody who's standing. Oh, you're standing. Oh, my bad. Please forgive me. Those of you who were not standing, can you find someone who was standing and partner with them? Hey, don't do your um um don't do your mom. Do somebody else. Don't do your mom. Chase, can you come do somebody? Or are you standing? Can you come do somebody? Are you standing or can you come do somebody? Come help then. <laughs> Those of you who are left without a partner, partner with one of the people. It, it, it's an important exercise. It's really a good exercise. Huh? Help her. Okay, so here's what you're going to do. So stand in front of the person face to face, and if you have to do it more than one time, that's okay. So that's why I tried to get people who weren't. Could y'all let each other's hands go? Could y'all step away? Come on, step away from each other. I, I know we love church, but you ain't got a whole hand, a whole service, okay? Come on, let's do the exercise, okay? In love, in love. All right, so grab the person's hand. However it's comfortable for you, if it's got whatever, okay? I want you to look them in the face, the person who needs to forgive. I want you to imagine that the person standing in front of you is the person. You cannot hit them. They may hit you back. <laughs> this is a no punching people in the throat zone, okay? All right, all right, come on, give me your focus, give me your focus. So you're imagining that this person is standing in front of you, and I want you to think about the thing that comes to mind about what you're so injured about. I want you to think about it. I want you to allow yourself to feel it. It's okay. Your disappointment, your anger, your frustration, how you feel like it's impacted your life. And I want you to look them in their face as though they're that person. You don't have to call their name if you don't want to. I want you to look them in the face, and I want you to just say to them, repeat after me. Say, I choose, I choose to forgive you. To forgive you. Whether, Whether you hurt me you hurt intentionally, intentionally or unintentionally. Today, I make a conscious choice to release you. And I believe that when I release you, that supernatural release comes to both of us. Say, from this day forward, I will be free, and I release you to be free. I choose 
to forgive you. Now, if the other person, if there's another person, if you need to do it, some of you are like, I got about 12 people. Go home, do it in the mirror. So just keep doing it. <laughs> Let me ask you something. When you did that, did anybody feel a release? If you felt a release, raise your hand. Listen, you can do that every day if you need to. You can get up in the mirror because sometimes there are people who don't go out of your life. And so they do something again and you got to go back to the mirror and you got to say, I've already chosen to forgive you. I will never go in this place with you again. I will never be in this place with you again because here's the problem is that forgiveness is not just a, poor, a prison for them. Most of the time people you mad at, they ain't thinking about you. They don't even know you mad. It is a prison for you and you need to release it.